This is Save the Nation on ADH-TV. I'm David Flint, and it's wonderful today to have Keith Winshuttle with us. Welcome, Keith. Hello, David. How are you? Very well, thank you. Now, Keith, you're the editor of the National Magazine, and you're really a major contributor nowadays. And it's rare to have such a contribution. You're a major contributor and your work has been in the area of history, the real history of Australia, the history of the world, and that's very significant because a lot of history today is not real history. A lot of it is mythical, and historical truth is rare. And you have the uh, magazine Quadrant, and you also have Quadrant Online, which people can look at, and... Uh, some years ago, you wrote a very important book. It's called The Breakup of Australia, The Real Agenda of Aboriginal Recognition. The Real Agenda of Aboriginal Recognition. Keith, what was that all about? Well, um, the title, The Breakup of Australia, actually came from an article I wrote, um, I think, um, 15 years before that, in, 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 um, the, in 2000, just in, in the, at the start of the new century, um, I decided to write a review of a book by um, Nugget Coombs uh, called um, Aboriginal Autonomy and a book by Henry Reynolds uh, called, um, well, I forgot the exact name, a similar, similar sort of title, that Aborigines um, were the real owners of the continent of Australia. This was their case. And that, um, and that, uh, that uh, the British uh, annexation of Australia was illegal and the Aborigines um, uh, really have um, the place to themselves. They never ceded sovereignty. They had sovereignty beforehand. And um, I um, d wrote a review of those two books um, and I, I didn't believe a word they said because I thought the whole thing was... Um, was um, legally concocted and, and, and historically false. It was a myth, as you say. Um, but um, uh, yeah, that was just an art one article and it sort of disappeared, um, uh, as articles do from magazines. But um, the idea stayed with me. And in 2011, Julia Gillard um, sort of uh, in, uh, revived the ideas that um, Coombs and Reynolds had been pushing in the 1990s and she appointed a committee to um, write a report that would give it to her. And, and all this business about um, having a referendum to, um, to recognise the Aboriginal voice and to, um, in, in my view, fundamentally change the um, political and, um, and, and physical structure of Australia because um, there'd be a lot of places where um, people now who think they can go there won't be able to go there because it'll be exclusive Aboriginal land. Um, the, the, um, the, that, that thing whole started with a series of, of um, analyses um, by uh, mostly Aboriginal people, not entirely, um, appointed by Gillard. And there's been a series of, of, um, of uh, reports and, and investigations ever since and um, I took, uh, took issue with all of them. Um, I started writing a few articles, like uh, Megan Davis, who's, who's now the uh, sort of principal author of most of the material that's, in, um, that's a part of the constitutional change. Um, she wrote a, a, an article in an academic journal saying that uh, Aborigines never had the vote um, 
um, when the Constitution of Australia was, um, was written and, and when the Federation came about in 1901. And um, that uh, the, uh, the same was true for uh, women, um, um, Chinese, um, South Pacific Islanders, uh, and anyone else you can think of. Who, and she said this, this uh, whole thing of Australian uh, constitutional um, establishment was, was um, uh, something that was conducted by and in the interests of um, a small b body of middle class um, um, white men, a really Christian white men, um, and um, and it, 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 we needed a radical change of the whole concept of Australia and the, and the um, nature of politics. That was her, her line. And I decided to write an article about this because I used to teach Australian history at uh, University of New South Wales for, for about 20 years or so. And, um, and I knew what she was saying was rubbish. Um, because that um, the people of my generation knew uh, in the, that, it, that when um, uh, the constitution was founded that um, one of the big things about it was that everybody who was, con who was um, considered um, to be, uh, well, to be an adult male uh, got the vote. Um, th there were uh, restrictions in, in um, Western Australia and, and in Queensland for um, mainly designed for, uh, against Aboriginal people. But anybody who was poor and didn't have $100 worth of property or, um, or rental property um, uh, couldn't vote in those two states. But in the other four states, it was um, one man, one vote. And, and the constitution promised that the minute that the, um, that the that federation was started, there would be a vote for to allow women to um, to vote in the in the uh, in, in the federal federation federation because um, by that time in most of the states of Australia women had the vote and so um, in in um, in in 1902 we had a vote for women uh, there, there was a, a, a sorry not a vote for there was a a law passed that um, gave the vote to women and uh, and and there was a debate in Parliament about um, about the whole issue uh, of women voting and Aborigines voting, and and uh, it, it, it turned out that uh, in four states, all Aborigines, men and women, had the vote, uh, and um, the Chinese had the vote if they'd uh, even if they hadn't been born in Australia, they'd been um, they'd been uh, because they're British subjects, they could have the vote in in the colonies of of uh, Australia before Federation, and because the Constitution said anyone who's got the vote. Uh, in in the, in the colonies before federation, automatically gets the vote in the new federation or Commonwealth of Australia. So this uh, this one article by Megan Davis, who I'd never heard of before, um, <coughs> uh, made me uh, ma was pre presented itself as an article to me, which I wrote. <coughs> I then found um, in in writing that that her 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 um, uh, comrade at the um, University of New South Wales Law School, which has always been a strongly left-wing law school, uh, George Williams, uh, he, um, he sort of backed up that argument. And this was coming out into, um, into um, the reports that Gillard and her successors commissioned from, um, from various academics and various political figures in the Aboriginal activist movement. And um, I, so I just found myself no knowing from my previous um, Mm -hmm. teaching of, of history, 
that most of this was wrong. I always believed that Australia was the most democratic nation on earth. And, and at the time of, of federation, that was the, the belief. Uh, Left-wing, right-wing politics, um, everyone felt that uh, this was a great thing. And, uh, and, and, and teaching it, I used to be enthusiastic with my students about, about this. And, then, and, and to, so to suddenly find that there are people who, um, who say, not only am I wrong, but the whole thing about Australian federation is wrong, um, uh, seemed to me something that needed to be corrected, <laughs> if I can put it gently. So, um, uh, uh, and the book, uh, the, um, the Breakup of Australia, based on an article that I'd written um, where the sort of, um, I don't know, the linchpins of that, um, of that concept um, had, been, had been presented uh, before. Um, uh, was, it was a revival of the, uh, the, the movement for constitutional change is a revival of ideas put up by Nugget Coombs and Henry Reynolds in the 1990s and, um, and brought into uh, fruition, if you like, um, with the um, election of the Albanese government who decided to go ahead with it. And I see from, <laughs> I see from this morning's papers that um, Anthony Albanese uh, has admitted that he doesn't know the detail of um, <laughs> what's involved. Uh, he's only read a one-page document about it and you've got to wonder what on earth is happening to this country. It's, it's not, um, it's not a, um, a matter of, of race or you know, black and white. It's a matter of, um, of the fundamental principles of government that this country has um, become as good as it is. And uh, I'm sort of worried that uh, still, even though the, the polls make it look as if the vote will go down, um, the vote for the referendum will go down, I'm worried that, um, that you know, uh, expectations will uh, not be like the um, England beat the Matildas last night and um, the yes could just as well come up with a few, a few goals and beat the, the no case, which I support. Well, uh, the Prime Minister has admitted, as you rightly say, that he hasn't read the full Uluru statement, which Megan Davis said, you, you have to read the full statement. It's a, a much longer document. And the Prime Minister admitted on Melbourne Radio that he hadn't read it. The Prime Minister should read what is a very important book. And that is The Breakup of Australia. People should read this. This is Keith's book, The Breakup of Australia. It's very important, but it contains all of the important information anyone would need about the historical development of this movement in Australia. And it's been supplemented very well by various articles in Quadrant. And in particular, in August of this year, there's been a special issue of Quadrant. It's called Why the Voice Would Be a Disaster for Australia. And Keith, you've, uh, you've published that. It's online, only online but you've made it available to everybody. You don't have to subscribe to Quadrant to actually read it. What's this, uh, this issue of Quadrant about? Well, we've had a huge amount of material from, um, from people who know what they're talking about, who are professionals in most of the, most of the, ca most of the cases, especially in, in uh, law and, um, and, uh, and in uh, politics. And um, they've, um, 
it got to the stage where we had far too much material to, to um, publish in our existing magazine. In fact, in July and August, we have a double edition. We, we normally don't publish an August edition uh, of the print magazine, uh, but we had the huge amount of material which, um, um, which we still couldn't fit into. We, we, we published a, a, an edition of the magazine in, um, in, in um, uh, uh, internet format that um, has four, uh, more than 40 authors and there's more than 200 pages uh, of uh, material and uh, we tried not to overlap, the, uh, not to have you know, repetition of the, uh, of the case. So you can ju just see from the volume of material there and if you look at the list of, of authors from, from uh, Tony Abbott down, um, for, we've got two former Labor Party um, ministers, uh, Peter Baldwin and, and Gary Johns writing for us. Um, and we've got a whole stack of people, some, some quite brilliant pieces by lawyers, um, showing how, how the, um, the actual wording of, of the, uh, of the uh, Constitution and the Act that brought it into being are um, riddled with errors and, uh, and, and um, are, are sort of done by a bunch of amateurs and, and who I think um, the principal one is, is uh, Megan Davis, who's been uh, uh, pushing this issue, you know, for a, a, the last 20 years. Um, but she's never came up with a, according to our legal friends in, in, this, in this publication, she never came up with um, a, a text for the law for the, or, the, or a question for the, uh, the Constitution that actually uh, makes, makes the case that she wants it to make. It's, it's just got, it's just riddled with, with legal errors. The, the important thing really is that we continually have myths presented to us. Only in the last month or so, there were two articles by academics, well-known academics in The Australian, repeating that tired old canard that Aborigines didn't have the vote or they were banned from having the vote at the time of a federation. And uh, I wrote when I saw the first article, I wrote a letter to the Australian, they didn't publish it. So I, on the second one, I wrote again and reminded them that they didn't publish it and that it contained a significant error and they did in fact publish my letter. But it is so important, there's so many myths presented to the Australian people and this is absolutely appalling. And that the Prime Minister who's pushing this referendum hasn't actually read the full Uluru Statement, having told us we should go and read the Karma report, the report done for the last government. He told us, if you wanted more information, read that. But he hasn't bothered to read the full Uluru Statement. I find absolutely amazing that a Prime Minister would do that. Can I just summarise what I see as the, as the substantial issue in all of this uh, and see if you agree with it? And this is that on, you have a choice really of two things. The essence of the issue is this in relation to bringing the Aboriginal people up to the same level, closing the gap as they say. On the one hand, we have what uh, Paul Hasluck was doing under the Menzies government, and that is assimilation, which is now a dirty word. Integration, as a friend said, is a, probably a better word these days. That is bringing the Aboriginal people into the full membership of the Australian population so that they have exactly the same rights and the same duties as all of us, as 
you've rightly pointed out, about 80% have decided to do, or segregating them, keeping them in these remote communities, and then as the Whitlam government decided, making them all welfare dependent. Is that the fundamental choice? On the one hand, assimilation and integration, or on the other hand, segregation, making them welfare dependent and now giving them additional special rights under the voice. Is that the choice? Well, look, as, as you said, David, um, the people who are in remote communities and who are supposedly the great victims of Australian um, colonisation are, are a small minority, less than 20% now. 80% um, of Aborigines have voted with their feet. Um, they don't live in those places. They, uh, they move to the cities or the big regional centres uh, in, in rural Australia and, um, and, and they integrate into the, um, into the Australian society. The, um, the term integrate comes from the civil rights movement in the, in the 1960s. Um, you and I are showing our age there, David. Um, but uh, it, the, 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 the proposition then, and, th and this was the basis of the 1967 referendum, which really settled the whole case about um, whether Aborigines were treated fairly or not. Um, the, the, uh, the opposite of integration was segregation, and segregation rightly became a dirty word. Um, um, and, and Aboriginal people themselves decided, as, as most of them in the southern half of the continent had decided in the 19th century, that they would uh, integrate in, in, in white society. There was plenty of room for uh, them to get employment because it's a growing uh, economy in, in the 19th, early 20th century with, um, with um, uh, for most of the place, high wages and, and low unemployment. Uh, and... Um, and, and so uh, Aborigines, 80% of those who identify as Aborigines uh, today uh, live in, in, in fact, the, <laughs> the biggest place, the biggest centre for them to live in is the metropolitan, metropolitan Sydney. That's where the biggest population of Aborigines, second biggest place is uh, metropolitan Brisbane. And, um, and uh, it, it's um, the 20% the, the, the who live in, uh, in, um, in, in the remote communities um, are really doing themselves a disservice, uh, and uh, but but there's if you look at the um, history of land rights and the whole land right movement, they they're the ones who are who are being restricted by their own people, not not by uh, there's no laws about um, you must live in a remote community. Um, uh, the people who do that do it by by uh, choice, and uh, and those who get an offer to usually to. Um, to get out, especially when they're young. Nowadays, there's plenty of, of, of schools that'll take uh, Aboriginal kids as boarders. Um, you know, they, they, they want to assist them and, and those who have parents who allow them to do that um, certainly take up those offers. The, the, uh, the movement for integration is, um, is, is by far more important in a sociological point of view than the concept of, um, of, of segregation or, um, or uh, living in remote communities. It's, um, and, and, and so we've got a sort of elite of, of, of um, political activists in the Aboriginal political class who are, who are still uh, hanging on to what you rightly said before are, are myths about the, um, the status of living of Aboriginal people and the, uh, the history of what was done to them. Um, I mean, the, 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 the two big issues that are the, the, the in history are uh, frontier wars and stolen generations, and they, they've, they're things that, the, um, that this, um, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Gosh, David, I'm... I'm the Voice. Uh, 
uh, yeah, the the Uluru, sorry, the Uluru statement. The the, the, yeah, the Uluru statement um, depends entirely uh, for its um, for its claims that um, you know we was robbed, we was done, done badly uh, to um, frontier wars and stolen generations. And I've written um, a book on on frontier wars, which uh, uh, on frontier wars, which shows that the white historians. Who, um, who wrote it, and the, the, the Aboriginals haven't, haven't written proper histories of, of these matters. Uh, most of it, what they say is, um, is um, un, unbacked by evidence. Uh, some of it is um, outright fabrication, and some of it is just a repetition of mythologies that, um, that um, nobody should take seriously because there's no good historical backing for them. And the same goes for um, the Stolen Generations. There was never any Australian government that wanted to remove children because they were... Um, because they were... Um, Black. Well, yeah, and, and in order to, um, in order to um, get rid of the Aboriginal race, uh, and destroy Aboriginal culture. There was never any government, and I still, <laughs> I, I used to, when I wrote my first book on that, um, I, I challenged people to say, well, tell me, which, wh where is there a government that, that, that did this? And uh, there wasn't any. Um, there, were, there were a couple of um, bureaucrats in, in the Northern Territory and um, Western Australia who wanted to control Aboriginal marriage, but that was immediately a, a terrible failure, and the government in Canberra said, you can't do that, go, you know, go away. Um, you know, this is ridiculous. Um, so, um, but you know, the, the, the historians who, who pushed that line about um, the, the two bureaucrats who, who supported um, uh, um, government deciding who could marry who, um, um, they, um, they never told um, their readers that this was rejected by the Commonwealth government and, uh, and, and um, you know, completely denied. This is in the 1930s and the Lyons government um, said, this is rubbish, we never, never contemplated this, we don't want to do it. And, um, and, but academic historians find that that uh, poses problems for their own case and, and it poses problems all the way through to this, this uh, Uluru statement um, that, um, that there were governments that wanted to do that. Children who were removed from their, from their um, parents um, were mainly, um, well, most of the cases that I've seen, and, and I've done, uh, re, you know, archive research uh, in in uh, in three of the states on this. Um, the, um, the there was a family he headed by a woman. Uh, the father of the children had had uh, left, had abandoned the family. Uh, the mother died, and the children were orphans, and so they were taken into um, into welfare homes, main, usually religious welfare homes. Or in the other case was um, where the, the parents were, uh, were drunks, uh, they were not feeding the children, the children were going hungry, you know, malnutrition in Australia, which uh, was unheard of in the white population, but, um, but uh, that's what, what uh, welfare people found was going on in some of the uh, Aboriginal communities. And, um, and so um, the children were taken in for that. So what we've got is a... Um, uh, a, a proposed change in the constitution to rectify um, the, the, the terrible sins of the white people, which are which are mythological sins, um, and we've got um, we've got uh, the the case of um, uh, that that Australia illegally occupied uh, Aboriginal land that we, we as the as all the signs and protests now say uh, you, you're on stolen land, and as and as now we've got. Um, 
you know, the ABC and, um, and, uh, and and quite a few other media are now saying, now, now wanting to call everything um, by its Aboriginal name. I mean, um, <laughs> as, I mean, we, I mean, there, there's a huge number of places in, in the 19th century that were given Aboriginal names um, out of the. Um, Yes, I live in one. Uh, <laughs> I live in Bondi, which uh, is an Aboriginal name, I understand. Uh, but I, I think what, uh, what people should understand across Australia, and the Prime Minister should know, is that you are a traditional historian. You go back. You don't write something and just write it on the basis of myth or because other, other people have written this. You go back to the original sources to verify whether what is being alleged is true as to what exactly happened. And the original sources of the time, not only, not only government sources, official sources, but of course also the newspapers, all of this contain very valuable information. And this demonstrates that this idea of frontier wars is completely untrue. The, the number of people involved in, in certainly some considerable outrages just would not qualify under any any fair evaluation as a frontier war and in fact the aboriginal people were not were not compelled into the relationship with the british there was a coming in that's why there was no treaty there was nobody first to to deal with there wasn't an authority to deal with as in new zealand but there was also this willingness this coming in to uh, the advantages of civilization, British civilization. So you depend on the original source. Now, I wanted to go to a particular matter, and that is the Lord of the Manor, as you call him, Unipingu, because I think there's a great illustration there as to what is happening in some of the remote areas and what is happening to uh, what has been handed out in relation to the proceeds of, uh, of native title as uh, established by the High Court. Could you tell us a little about Lord of the Manor, the, which is in your, uh, is valuable, written out in uh, and updated in your latest magazine, the one that's available online? Um, yes, yes, I, David. What you said before about Aborigines coming in um, is true everywhere in Australia. When the, um, w the Aborigines came in contact with um, the new white society in the 19th century, they, uh, they weren't uh, hostile. They didn't say, oh, we've got to defend our land against these alien, terrible people. They said, um, what, what have these people got for us? And the, at first, the um, the uh, explorers offered them trinkets, which you know was a pretty silly thing to do. But when settlement came, they offered the Aborigines three meals a day, um, which was something that that that, that you never get in um, in um, uh, hunter-gatherer lifestyle. And uh, and they offered them shelter from the the, the climate. And 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 um, the the case of um, Yunapingu in um, in the, the the Gulf Peninsula of Northern Territory, which is what you, you, what I've just written about and what you mentioned, um, that was the same thing. In, in the 1930s, uh, on the east coast of Arnhem Land, um, a, a Methodist mission was established. Um, it was not it was not people Aboriginal people didn't have to come in, but the mission said we've got a food supply all year round. Um, you can come and, and eat at our table if you don't want to don't want to stay the night. Well, good o. Um, but in fact. Um, uh, after a while, the, the, uh, the, the several hundred Aborigines who lived on the Gulf Peninsula came into the Methodist mission and formed 
a sort of fairly close community and they lived off the, off the Methodist Commission. You've got to understand, in Australia, most places there's a season when the traditional food supply of hunter-gatherers dries up. In, in, um, in um, northern Australia, where there's a monsoon in the Arnhem Land, um, it's very, you can't go hunting. It's very difficult to... Um, to um, uh, to supply food, and you've got, and you've got to do it um, in the midst of floods and rains and, um, uh, and a very intemperate sort of climate. Um, in, in Sydney, where, which I've written uh, quite a bit about, um, what the Aborigines found, they lived in Sydney Harbour, they lived off, um, mainly off the supply of fish. They were, they were not hunters. Um, they were fishers primarily. But from May to September, the fish that, um, that the Aborigines um, were after, uh, that could come within a spear's throw of the, of the shore, uh, they all uh, dried up. They, I, I'm not sure where they went, but they went out to sea to breed or whatever fish do when they <laughs> move, move house. And they don't come back until September. So um, uh, Aboriginal people in, 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 uh, the, on the East Coast were faced with a period when there was very little food for them. Uh, and, which, and, and for which they, they um, uh, often, uh, as, as, as many observers said, they were unrecognisable after th um, three or four months of, um, of the periodic starvation. So, um, uh, the you mean they were so, so atrociously thin? Uh, exactly. The, the, the that, state, that, of near, state of starvation. Well, yeah, starvation is probably, uh, malnutrition is uh, <coughs> the, the word I should have used, um, because they, uh, if, if you starve, you, no, you normally die. But they didn't die, but they, they were very uncomfortable. <coughs> and um, all the anthropological texts of, of people who met Aborigines in the first place found that this was common right throughout Australia for different reasons. Um, but on, um, on the, uh, in the Gove Peninsula at... Um, uh, in, in Arnhem Land, um, they faced the thing, uh, and also the, the Methodist mission said, well, uh, you can have a dry bed at night to sleep in. And because if you're living out um, without any shelter in, um, in a monsoon, and, and I don't know if you've ever been in a monsoon or rain, David, but uh, you can get, um, you know, 100, um, 100 centimetres a day, um, and, um, and the land that you thought was um, you, you're going to sleep on the, uh, the, the night before is suddenly flooded and, and it's knee, the water is knee deep. It's, um, if you go up to um, the Kimberley where I've been a few times or other parts of, of um, Northern Territory, um, it's really very, very difficult to do anything except um, sit, sit around and, and, um, and uh, complain about the, the, uh, the weather. So the um, coming in was something that uh, Aborigines uh, found very um, appealing. The, the most, the greatest appeal, and, and again, the anthropological literature up until the you know the 1970s in Australia um, made all this very clear. The Aborigines came in for a regular supply of food, which um, which the production, which the um, the economy of um, of the, the the Australian continent could by then um, provide for them, and um, and 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 there are there are books and there are films that the uh, the the um, book and the film of let's um, say We of the Never Never, which is about a the establishment of a a, a, a um, cattle station in the Northern Territory. Um, it shows that the, um, the Aborigines wanted to work for the station. They didn't have to be cajoled into working for the station. They wanted the work. And, um, and um, Mrs Aeneas Gunn, she wrote a passage, which I, I quoted in my book, um, uh, when Nellie left, um, 
we were in, inundated by all her relatives, all my female relatives, who wanted the um, the job as a house house worker that uh, that Nellie had. And um, there were so many people there that they that they, um, they they didn't know how to keep them all. Um, and and could you now tell us something about the Lord of the Manor? <clears throat> okay. Um, in, in, from all this, the, the, one of the boys who grew up in the mission uh, in in um, in uh, Yurkala, as as the uh, as it became known, um, was um, Galaroy Yanapingu, um, who, um, who who was born in 1948, who never um, had anything to do with um, living off the land. Uh, I mean, he used to go fishing a bit, but uh, in fact, most of the um, the Aborigines in the Gove Peninsula were, were like the people in Sydney. They were basically survived on. They weren't hunter gatherers; they were fisher gatherers. Um, fishing was their was their main sustenance. Um, and um, uh, Gullaroy Yanapingu um, succeeded his father as the big man of the uh, Gumach clan. And uh, his father ha- had decided that he um, that when the land was um, was um, alloc- was leased to um, Nabalco for an aluminium mine that um, that he uh, and, and an aluminium smelter um, and uh, he wanted to move his people from um, from Yurkala um, up the coast a bit and round the corner into a Melville Bay where um, where the um, the aluminium smelter would be out of sight. Now, in a sense, I don't blame him for wanting to move because if you've got a nice, um, pleasant uh, home by the sea with, um, uh, for most of the year, it's, um, it's idyllic, um, you know, tropical sort of paradise. <coughs> um, and to plonk an aluminium smelter in the middle of it is uh, very unaesthetic. Um, but, and, and, but what came with it was a, a, a township of 3,000 people and, um, and that sort of uh, shifted the, the um, status of the former Aborigines because uh, there were many attractions to, uh, uh, in the town to, um, to the people to, who um, had been sort of loyal followers of the big men of the, of the, uh, of the um, clan. Ah, oh, David, I'm I'm yes. ra- rambling on here. I'm sorry. Um, and and he he uh, he cornered, did he not? Unipingo cornered most of the royalties, did he not? not uh, okay. The... okay. Uh, well, I was trying to get onto that, and I've given you much along to a, a, a lead up. Um, uh, when the announcement was made that there'd be a um, an aluminium smelter, a, a bauxite mine, and an aluminium smelter on the Gove Peninsula. Um, a lot of the ab- Aboriginal people decided to move away from the site, not too far away because they had become dependent on the mission for food and for shelter, um, but, and they moved into, uh, into um, a place called Ski Beach, which, was, which, was a, which had formerly been used. There were, there were huts there put up by the, the uh, managers and, and contractors who built the, uh, the aluminium smelter on site and who built the accommodation in the town of, um, of Nullanboy uh, for the people who would work in the mine and the smelters. And, um, but once that was all established by the end of the 1960s uh, and the, um, 
and the managers and, and workers moved into the sort of more fitting accommodation close to the town. The, um, the uh, Gumach clan uh, under, um, under Yonapingu's father decided to move, and, move to Ski Beach and, 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 and squat in the lands in the, in the old sort of prefab buildings that had been put there for the, uh, the workers while the, the Nullumboy Township was in construction. And, um, and they did that, and, um, and, uh, but then they heard about um, the possibility of, um, of getting land rights. And the Whitlam government um, uh, responded to a political claim, it was a very much, very much a left-wing political claim, that the, um, the, um, and the Communist Party of Australia was um, strongly involved in it, that, uh, that, that the land in the Northern Territory um, had been um, had been sort of stolen from Aboriginal people. Uh, they wanted it back, and and this was part of a, a communist scheme to um, have a sort of a place uh, where they could have a revolution and establish a socialist society based on based on um, on, on Aboriginal people. In other words, um, the the terrible um, people who uh, established um, a sort of democratic liberalism. Uh, and, and capitalism in uh, Australia, um, which are European and non-Aboriginal uh, concepts, would be replaced by um, social, communist socialism, um, which is another European idea, um, nothing to do with traditional uh, Aboriginalism. But so, in a sense, what uh, Yanapingu could do uh, was um, uh, he said, "We are going to maintain Aboriginal um, traditions." Um, we own the land, uh, David. And, and Unipingu yeah. uh, cornered, did he not? The amount of uh, royalties or whatever they were called in relation to the use of the land and he, he centred it, did he not, with his own, uh, his own cohort of supporters and he got very wealthy. He became extremely wealthy as a result of that, did he not? Yeah, he, he was. If there was a big, rich list um, put in operation by, you know, the Financial Review in those days, he would have he would have made it. He had a huge amount of money coming in from royalties from um, from the uh, Nabalco uh, smelter and, and uh, mine, and um, and that was something which the Commonwealth government arranged for him. Um, the, the, the concept of land rights really is invented by uh, white lawyers and, uh, and, and white judges and was, and was taken up by the Whitlam government in, in um, the early 1970s. Um, the Aborigines, there was a, a, a case where some Aborigines were provided with lawyers and they made a case saying the whites have stolen our land, we want it back. But when the... Um, when the uh, Aborigines themselves got the chance to give evidence to the, the Blackburn uh, uh, agreement, uh, sorry, the, the Blackburn um, hearing, Blackburn hearing, um, oh, Jesus, David, sorry. Uh, when, when the Aborigines um, themselves got to give evidence to the, uh, the, judge, the hearing under Judge Blackburn, they said, Oh no, we don't have any exclusive uh, pieces of land here. Um, nobody can tell us um, whether where we can go, um, and um, it's, it, there's no such thing as um, as land rights. They didn't they didn't say that, but in so many words. But they that was what the evidence that Blackburn yes, they, took they, from them that, that there is no, there's no such a thing. But nonetheless, the Whitlam government wanted to have land rights for Aborigines. 
um, similar to the land rights that were available in, the, in North America to, um, to various people who were tribal nomads and, not, and quite different from the hunter-gatherers in Australia. And Unipingo didn't distribute, when he got the money, he didn't distribute it uh, except to his small band of supporters and he, he, he became very wealthy, did he not? Um, he certainly did and that was the result of the Land Rights Act of 1976 which um, was, it was actually written by the Whitlam government but then presented to the, his successor, the Fraser government, and Malcolm Fraser approved it and it w went into operation in the Northern Territory only, mm. the Northern, because the Northern Territory is part of the, the Commonwealth's responsibilities. And there were royalties, uh, a certain percentage of the income that was generated by the, um, the um, Nabalco operations were given to Aborigines as a compensation for their loss of land, which they never really lost, never really had in, in, to lose. But nonetheless, um, there was a land council formed in both in both um, uh, northeastern Arnhem Land, and another one another one formed at uh, in Alice Springs, another land council there. And um, I don't know much about the one at, at Alice Springs, but um, there's a lot written by by. Um, um, uh, people about um, the the origins uh, of um, the wealth of Yanapingu uh, from from royalties. Uh, the, the key thing was he was a chairman of the land council for 25 years, and he made sure that the that most of the royalties went to him. Officially, his tribe or his clan, the Gumach clan, got 75% of all the royalties and the Raratingu people got 25% of the royalties and there was another, another group, Jalpo, who got less than 1% of the, of the royalties. But most um, of these people were then left in poverty and he cornered the money. Did he not have, uh, how many houses did he have? <laughs> well, he, ha he had four mansions. He had four, he had his own uh, office and, and, and mansion, as people called it at the time, uh, in, um, in, in at Ski Beach. Um, and he had four other houses for his four wives um, in, in various places, some, some down the coast. And he had an apartment in Darwin for one, and he, and he had another, another, he took over an old, um, an old um, pastoral station in, um, in uh, the northeastern uh, of, um, of um, Arnhem Land for his, his youngest wife, who he married when she was 20 and he was pushing 60. Um, and he had a helicopter pad out the front um, he had a full-time uh, helicopter pilot who he employed. Um, all of this was, was claimed to be uh, for, for um, uh, preserving uh, uh, customs of the local clans, but in fact it, it made, um, uh, it, it gave him the ability to have um, a big house with, as one journalist called it, um, a, a, a television set covering half the wall, and, if, and that was in the 1990s. And if you remember the price of television, uh, those huge television screens, a sort of movie with, um, um, there were, um, uh, he had a boat in, uh, a, a boat in, um, in uh, the Nullumboy uh, Yacht Club. He had, um, the, uh, first of all, there were uh, the, the top ranking Toyota Land Cruiser, um, which in those days was selling for $100,000, which is, um, you know, which which would yes. be three or four hundred thousand today. And, uh, was, uh, and was the his... prime minister, we might add, the prime minister has recently at a festival in the Northern Territory began by praising the memory of this man who 
seemed to have recorded all of the all of the gains and used them for his own personal pleasure, particularly having that helicopter on call all the time with yes. a pilot. Yes, he'd, he'd decide at the end of each day which of his wives he'd sleep with that night and the helicopter pilot uh, took him there and, and in Nullanboy they used to call it the Honeymoon Express. Um, <laughs> that was, um, that, everybody knew what was going on. Um, and, and look, there must have been, uh, uh, over his time, um, um, Yanapingu hosted uh, eight of pri Australian Prime Ministers um, and, um, and, and he invited them all up. He took them to his mansion. There's photographs of, the, of them looking out over his, over his um, territory. And um, there must have been uh, quite a few of them who had their suspicions about what, what was really going on. Um, there were, the, the whole thing was exposed to journalists in the 1990s and, and in the early 2000s, um, partly by Yanapingu's own, uh, members of his own clan, uh, and, and brothers and sisters of his complained that um, Yanapingu kept most of the money for himself um, and didn't distribute it. And, and, then, and this is 25, sorry, 75 percent of the royalties go to his clan and of that he keeps most of it for himself and leaves um, those of his um, brothers and sisters because he had, uh, I think his father had, I think it was 11 children uh, um, or was it, I think it was 11, yeah. Anyway, um, th they were prolific breeders, the Yanapingu clan, and um, uh, but, but the, um, the the, 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 the members of the family who were left out complained to the Commonwealth Government and to the Northern Territory Government about what was going on. Um, the Northern Territory Government uh, actually appointed an auditor to go through the books and uh, they found that there was a whole lot of um, expenditure which wasn't, wasn't uh, um, accounted for and, um, and which shouldn't have happened. But, um, uh, but the, the record said it's for... Uh, to preserving custom or um, furthering customs, um, and and so there was nothing legally. It was um, it was uh, allowable, but uh, morally it was um, it was um, a terrible thing to do. Yes. Uh, and and then the Riratingu people, for something like thirty years, took out. Uh, firstly, appeals to government, to the Commonwealth government, and they got a, a, the same thing, a, a Commonwealth auditor. And there's a, a, a very large document, 92-page document, um, exposing the, the, um, <coughs> the well, I can't call it fraud because it wasn't illegal, um, but the, um, the expenditure um, that went to Yanapingu's personal, uh, to make, give him a personal life that was, um, that was um, you know, well beyond the reaches of not only local Aborigines, but of anyone living in, in the normal suburbs yes, so, of Australia. So what we're seeing, and I, I think this is just a, an example, is it not? What we're seeing is an enormous amount of money going into the remote areas of Australia, coming from uh, the Commonwealth, 30 to 40 billion a year now, plus all of the money coming from the royalties. And yet we see people living in terrible poverty in those areas and apparently others are living quite well. This is extraordinary, but uh, I started a, a piece for The Spectator. I was writing about The Voice and I said, I quoted the old saying, and the old saying is that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, constantly doing the same thing and expecting different results. The Voice seems to be the latest of doing the same thing. And it's been the politicians, the politicians have been doing this 
back, uh, back from Holt, certainly Whitlam, has been go and under the influence of Coombs, has been going on. The High Court had, they dabbled in it in their, in their decisions to expand native title across the Commonwealth. And all of it has resulted in exactly the same thing, what you're describing. That is, some people doing very well, but the great majority of people in the remote areas doing terribly, terrible, terrible amounts of uh, violence, terrible amounts of abuse, something which we should be ashamed of and should not continue. The voice will only continue this. It certainly won't close the gap. Is that a, a fair assessment, do you think, Keith? Yes, it is. Um, I think that, that, that I mean, what, what surprised me uh, is that uh, how little of this was it sort of sunk into the Australian mind. The people who, I'm, who exposed this, there, was, there were two um, uh, investigative journalists on The Australian. One was uh, Elizabeth Winhausen who, who exposed all of everything I've said in the 1990s. Another one, Jennifer Sexton, who exposed it a decade later. Um, and they all found that the whole thing was was uh, was a poor, morally appalling. Uh, was that the um, the ability of uh, Aboriginal leaders to confiscate the funds through um, um, th that were the funds that were d designed to go to everybody was um, uh, uh, it was shocking. And um, but that but that message never got sunk in. People think of the remote communities as. Um, as places where the kids don't go to sleep and then they're badly behaved and they start fights in, in towns like Alice Springs. But um, what we should realise is that the government funding um, that's gone to these places um, is part of the problem. It's, um, it, it, it hasn't, uh, it, it hasn't um, been evenly distributed to lift the standard and improve the health and education of um, Aboriginal people in, yes. in the areas. It's um, gone to make a few Aborigines who, who don't do any work, who simply live off the rent of, um, of the uh, local mine or the local yes. uh, smelter or whatever is, is being done there, and, um, and, and live like lords of the manor. And we're told that uh, we must be paying more rent one of the leading people in the uh, preparation of The Voice, one of the people the Prime Minister appointed, has said that it will involve more rent, more, more the payment of more rent in Australia. You say in, uh, in your book there's a chapter which ought to be read by everybody, and that is that traditional culture is the problem and not the solution. Traditional culture is the problem, not the solution. Then in your book, you have, you have these maps at the beginning, at the end. They, they, are, they are wonderful. They're, they're now uh, past because uh, there's been more. But you had these maps, how to give away half a continent, how to give away half a continent and uh, it seems that not only will that be given away, but in addition, there'll be also rent payable. That seems to me to be something which people should be reading before they go and vote in this referendum. Uh, one, of the, one of the curious things in the referendum is not that Australians have woken up to this, because I, I agree with, Doug, with uh, Dick McGarvey, who was a a judge in Victoria, who was the governor of Victoria, a Labour man. He was at the Constitutional Convention and he 
said several times at the Constitutional Convention concerning the Republic that Australians are a wise constitutional people. And I think that's very true. I think in this referendum they will show this. The sad thing is that among those who are recording a strong support of the yes case are the young. And that seems to me to reflect the situation in the schools, that, the, that notwithstanding the substantial increases in of funding in the schools, the standards have gone down, the standards of literacy and numeracy, and uh, instead, of, uh, instead of history, they're being indoctrinated. Is that a reasonable conclusion, do you think, about education in Australia? Oh, certainly, if you look at the latest um, curriculum that's being pushed, uh, even in New South Wales, which um, is not nearly as bad as, as it is in Victoria, um, the kids are being told that, about, um, that Aborigines had uh, science, they, had, uh, they were the pioneers of, um, of um, astronomy, um, they um, knew engineering, um, there's a whole, uh, and, and they had a wonderful uh, ecological sense that they preserved the, the um, neighbourhood, they, they preserved the, the environment. Um, there's a whole range of myths. I mean, this seems, it, it's, it's, it's never ending. Um, the, we, we have these um, welcome to countries which are completely invented, they're fake, um, they never happened in, in the real world. Of, of, of Aboriginal, Aboriginal. The, uh, the stories of Aboriginals preserving the um, uh, environment are, are rubbish. I mean, uh, and, and this was established long ago. There are the large land mammals of Australia were um, all um, destroyed and, and went extinct um, within um, a few thousand years of the Aborigines arriving here. Um, uh, the um, uh, the, if you, anywhere you look at now, there's, um, there's, there's a mythological construct which is designed by the elite of our culture and, and it's, and it's force-fed to kids at school, but it's also force-fed to the rest of us. Uh, anywhere you go now, you've got these ridiculous welcome to countries, which, um, which I mean, in, in Sydney, um, the, the, we're told uh, we're welcoming the elders of uh, Gadigal people and a whole lot of other tribes. There are, none of these people uh, exist anymore. All the um, Aborigines, who are, uh, the, the, the tribal groups who are who recorded by the British uh, in the um, early... Uh, sorry, in the, in the late um, 18th century, in the 1790s, um, they all moved on, um, they intermarried, um, a large proportion of them died of in, imported diseases. Um, but um, Yes, I think you're absolutely true in all of this. And it, it is important that people read what you have written. Keith, unfortunately, time is, has run out for us. I would particularly like to thank you, not only for the time you've spent today, which is very important, but for the major contribution you have made to making available a true history of what has happened in this country. And that is becoming increasingly rare. And this is something which all Australians should be aware of. They should be reading your book. They should be going to particularly that uh, freely accessible uh, publication of uh, that particular issue. It's Quadrant August uh, 2023, well, and it's a free download. Well, that's uh, that's wonderful. People, people who want to, who want to make a 
an informed decision in the referendum should be that otherwise they should follow the advice of Alan Jones, and that is, if you don't know, vote no. If you don't know, vote no. And this is important. We mustn't allow uh, the price of what this referendum will be, and that will be making this country ungovernable. Well, I'm uh, David Flint. This is Save the Nation, and uh, until next time.